Morning everybody. Just before I speak this morning, I, I just wanted to look at something from Nehemiah, because I think this applies to us today. Uh, we're going to be looking at Philippians again, and uh, the subject of joy is raised for the first time in the reading that we're going to look at. And uh, I was reminded of the, uh, the time when Ezra read the law to the people of Israel. And there's a verse in chapter 8, verse 10, which says, The joy of the Lord is your strength. So um, I want to start with that prayer today, that uh, the word of the Lord will be our strength, the joy of the Lord will be our strength. So let's just pray and ask that as we come before him now. Father, we do thank you for your word. We thank you, Lord, that it, it is life, Lord. It brings life to us. For those that understand it, we have life, eternal life in Jesus, our Redeemer, in your Son. We thank you for the living word. We thank you, Father, for all the blessings that we receive when we read and study your word and the wisdom that you give us, the knowledge that you give us. We pray now, Lord, as we, we look again at your word, that you will be with us and help us to take something away from it today. We ask this in Jesus' name and that he and the Father and the Holy Spirit will be glorified as one. We thank you, Father. Amen. For those um, that may be visiting for the first time, I only speak once a month. I gave an introduction to uh, the letter of Paul to the Philippians last time I spoke. So this is our second journey into Philippians. We had an introductory look at the book or the letter last month. By way of introduction, I said that the Philippians was chosen by myself because I'd previously spoken about James, which is a book of action, if you like. It was very practical. Philippians is much the same. The actions may not be quite so direct, but there are loads and loads of exhortations throughout the book, and we're going to look at some of those today. We also find that there are a few doctrinal problems with the church at Philippi and this caused Paul to write much about his joy and rejoicing concerning the believers there. Further, there were some 32 references to Jesus within the letter, including the well-known passage, I'm sure you all remember this, chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, which describes the humility of Jesus. And we looked also at a section, chapter 4, verse 8, that spoke about excellent things. And we're going to return to that again today, briefly, because it's, it's well, in a way it's mentioned, we see in the passage that we're going to look at in a minute, you'll see that excellent things are mentioned again in verse 9. So we're going to return to chapter 4, verse 8 at some stage. To begin with today, we're starting with the beginning of the letter this time. So we're going to read Philippians 1, verses 1 to 11. I'm reading from the uh, New King James Version. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, making request for you all with joy, for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, 
that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defence and confirmation of the gospel, you all are partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness, how I greatly long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offence till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, in the opening greeting then, Paul refers to himself and Timothy as bondservants of Jesus Christ. And here we want to remind ourselves that in Greek culture, the word for bondservant most often referred to the involuntary service of a slave. However, the Hebrew meaning, and the meaning that Paul uses here, is one of voluntary service to a master well-respected and loved by the servant. And you may remember that Peter dealt with this at some length in his talk on Romans 1. So we see in Paul and Timothy willing servants of their beloved master Jesus. Now if we take a small detour to the passage about Christ's humility, in chapter 2 verse 7 you will see that the same word is used of Jesus. Jesus made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. So we see here Jesus willingly submitting to his and our Heavenly Father. Now, casting our minds back again to last month's talk on Philippians, we saw that we should have the same mind as Jesus. That's chapter 2, verse 5. And thus follow him as our supreme example. Now, I want to remind you of further words from Paul to believers in Ephesians. Chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. He says, therefore, be imitators of God, as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. Now, returning to Philippians, we're going to take that detour to chapter 4 and the excellent things that we looked at last month. But if I remember rightly, I only read verse 8, and this time I want to read verse 9 as well, Because apart from Jesus being our example, we have a supplementary exemplar in Paul. So if you want to turn to chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, we'll just quickly read those. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report... If there is any virtue, and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. Now one thing needs to be said about the word meditate, which I did not mention last month. The Greek word used means not only to think on the excellent things mentioned, but to calculate and to reckon 
to weigh seriously the cost of incorporating these virtues into our daily lives. And I believe that the thing that can help us most in this process is to constantly read and study God's word so that its truths become natural to us and we work them out in our lives. Now in verse 9, coming back to the exemplar in Paul, we're called to follow Paul's example. He spells this out clearly in 1 Corinthians 11 verse 1. He says, imitate me just as I also imitate Christ. So just a few thoughts here now as a a little interlude. Are we able to imitate Paul? Are we able to call ourselves bondservants? Do we willingly serve Jesus and his body and make the things of God a priority in our lives? How do we measure up to the virtues in uh, 4 verse 8? Are we always truthful? Are our thoughts always noble, just and pure? Are we gracious and kind? Do we show courtesy and respect to others? Paul certainly wanted these virtues of excellence to be displayed among the believers at Philippi. So let's look again at verses 9 to 11 of chapter 1. If you turn back to that, chapter 1, we look at 9 to 11. This is Paul's prayer for the Philippians, or one of them. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offence till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now we'll look closer at that prayer a bit later on, But I'd like to start right back at verse 1 and build up a picture of the Philippian church. So chapter 1, verse 1, perhaps it's wise to mention that although the greeting in verse 1 is from Paul and Timothy, the letter is most certainly the work of Paul alone. And the use of the singular pronoun I is the most obvious proof of this. The name Timothy is probably included because he was with Paul and being a co-founder of the church at Philippi, was obviously a well-known Christian leader. And Timothy could also be acting as Paul's uh, secretary or literary assistant, if you like. Now, the letter is addressed to all the saints in Christ at Philippi, that is, all believers who have been separated from sin and consecrated to God. Just to remind you that in Christ is a a much-used phrase by Paul, And I've picked out two of probably the most memorable occasions. Well, they stick in my mind anyway. Uh, Very memorable verses. Uh, Romans 8, verses 1 and 2. I don't know if you want to turn to it, but I'll read it anyway. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. And the other one, a fabulous verse from 2 Corinthians 5.17. You all know the verse about new creations. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. So in Christ is a spiritual union with Christ through his death and resurrection. In Christ we are saints because his merits are imputed to us 
Oh, that we may join with Paul and say, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That's from Galatians 2.20. The familiar blessing of grace, coming back to Ephesians, the familiar blessing of grace and peace in verse 2 of chapter 1, should not be taken for granted. We must remember the tremendous favour that we enjoy without any merit of our own. And the acrostic for grace is always worth remembering. God's riches at Christ's expense. Again, Paul writes to the Ephesians in chapter 2, 8 and 9, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Uh, still in verse 2, as far as peace is concerned, this refers not simply, and this, this runs right the way through the Bible as far as I know, it refers not simply to the absence of hostilities, but to inner assurance and tranquility that keeps us and guards us even in times of trouble. And the source of these blessings is God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. How great are the Father's love and concern for his creatures and his creation. Do you remember Psalm 8 verse 4? What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you visit him? And moving on, as I said in my introductory talk last month, last month Philippians has been referred to as the epistle of joy. And in verse 3 here we can feel, well I could feel Paul's sense of joy, I hope you can, when he gives thanks to God as he remembers the Philippians in prayer. And the word joy is first used in verse 4, as Paul petitions the Father with requests on behalf of the Philippians. No doubt he is thinking of their joyfully receiving God's word and growing and maturing in their faith. And Paul joyfully sees God being glorified through the Philippians. So a couple of questions then. Do we experience joy as we bring our loved ones and brothers and sisters in Christ in prayer before the throne of grace. Wonderful. Now, where does joy come from? Well, we know the joy of the Lord is our strength. But if we look at a couple of examples from the Old Testament, Psalm 35 verse 9 says, And my soul shall be joyful in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. And Isaiah 61 verse 10, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God. For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. From the New Testament, the letter of John is good. Jesus says in John fifteen eleven, These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. And a little later on, when Jesus predicted his death and resurrection to his disciples, he said in John 16:22, Therefore you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice, and your joy no one will take from you. So we see that God himself is the source of our joy, and that if we are in Christ, his promise is that no one can take our joy away. There is more joy for Paul in verse 5 when he rejoices over the Philippians' fellowship in the gospel 
from day one, which I assume means the foundation of the church in Philippi in this case. And fellowship can also be translated participation or partnership. It expresses a two-way relationship, fellowship with God and fellowship with believers. And this can be seen from John's first letter when he writes about Jesus, the Son of God, being manifested. You may like to look at this verse. It's 1 John 1, 3. First letter of John, chapter 1, verse 3. Very important verse. That which we have seen and heard, that's Jesus obviously, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. So there's the two-way relationship. The partnership of the Philippians in the Gospel was expressed by various monetary gifts to Paul for his ministry, as well as the sending of Epaphroditus to act as Paul's servant whilst he was under house arrest in Rome. Epaphroditus had brought a financial gift with him for Paul, and Paul had received further gifts, which are recorded in 4.16 of Philippians. For even in Thessalonica, he says, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. And also reported in the um, second letter to Corinthians, Paul says to the Corinthians, And when I was present with you and in need, I was a burden to no one. For what I lacked, the brethren who came from Macedonia, that's Philippi, supplied. So they supplied Paul's needs even when he was in Corinth. Now regarding the first day, which I said was the foundation of the church, in Philippi, this was about 10 years previously, Paul had enjoyed the hospitality, This is we get, we get this from the book of Acts, of both Lydia and the jailer and his family, the very first converts to Christianity. And Paul was filled with joy over the frequent evidences of the Philippians sharing the work of the gospel. Now even though Paul rejoiced over the Philippians in their generosity and obvious spiritual growth, in verse 6, we see that Paul attributes their transformed lives to none other than God, and rightly so. God not only began the good work of their salvation, which started with their conversion, but he will continue it and consummate it at the glorious return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the expression, the day of Jesus Christ, is similar to the day of the Lord, when Christ returns for his church. Salvation is finally completed. Everyone's works are examined and believers are rewarded. And nothing in this life or after death can prevent the success of God's work in every Christian. And I was uh, reminded of the verses from Romans 8, 38 and 39, another tremendous passage. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. With regard to our works being examined, this refers to our works of service since our conversion, for no true believer will be judged for sin. Jesus has already taken our punishment for sin. However, we should show our love for God and his body by works of service and remember that there is an eternal reward in addition to the many blessings that we enjoy whilst on this earth. 
And just as a slight diversion, Paul talks about these rewards, I believe, in 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15. You might like to turn to this. 1 Corinthians 3, 11 to 15. Remember, we're not working for these rewards. We're working because we love Jesus and we want to show our appreciation for what he's done for us, what nobody else can do for us. So Paul writes to the Corinthians, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become clear, for the day will declare it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Moving back again to uh, the letter of Philippians, in verse 7, Paul appears to be saying that he is right to consider the Philippians so highly because they are partners in the gospel through thick and thin. They are supporting him in his imprisonment and stand with him in the defence and confirmation of the gospel. And the words used for defence and confirmation of the gospel are legal terms and probably allude to Paul's pending trial. Remember he was in prison in Rome when he wrote the letter. By supporting Paul in this way, the Philippians may have been endangering themselves because Philippi, as you may recall, was a Roman colony and was run as if it was a part of the Roman Empire. The Philippians openly sent Paul gifts and Epaphroditus to serve him, whilst Paul was held awaiting trial, so they could be allied to him and might be considered as dangerous as he was, or they felt he was. As they showed the same feelings as Paul did for the furtherance of the gospel, Paul remarks that they were also partakers with him of God's grace. And Paul now tells the Philippians in verse 8 how much he loves them. And the literal translation of affection, I read, is bowels. So Paul says, I long for you all with the bowels of Jesus Christ. Doesn't quite mean what we might think of bowels. The word means uh, the heart or encompasses the heart, the liver and the lungs which by the Greeks were believed to be the seat of the emotions and the affections. The kidneys, the kidneys. Oh, right. So Paul, our offal, if you like, or viscera, whatever they're called, <laughs> deep down in our guts, Paul was saying, I long for you with the compassion of Jesus Christ himself. I love you as Jesus loves you. So a challenge here, how deep is our love for our fellow believers? Do you remember the, the words from 1 John 3.16? Anybody remember those? Not John 3.16, 1 John 3.16. I think we all remember John 3.16, don't we? For God so loved the world, etc. But 1 John 3.16, it's a, a, probably a good verse to remember. By this we know love, because Jesus laid down his life for us, and we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, if that's not challenging, I don't know what is. 
having read those um, or that verse 8 especially we may now be in a position to understand the intensity of Paul's prayer for the Philippians in verses 9 to 11 and now we've reached that point so we look at these verses a little more carefully so in verse 9 in using the words more and more we see that Paul is praying for the continued spiritual growth of the Philippians praise that their love may abound more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Love, of course, is an aspect of the fruit of the Spirit and enables us to function as true believers using God's gifts in accordance with his will and for his purpose. And I'd just like to um, draw your attention to the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13. If you turn to that, it's about the gifts of the Spirit. This is where they end up. If we don't use these gifts properly, if we don't love people properly and with all sincerity and morality. So verses 1 to 3 of 1 Corinthians 13. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I become a sounding brass or a clanging cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith so that I could move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but have not love, it profits me nothing. Something to remember there. And Paul also writes to the Colossians in 3.14 that with love the Christian is spiritually complete. He says above all these things, and he lists uh, kindness, humility, etc., etc., forgiveness for one another, He says, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. And I think we need to view perfection as the return of Jesus, because this side of that happening, none of us are perfect, are are we? Now, this love then must be in knowledge. This denotes understanding what the scriptures teach about love and will therefore be sincere and moral, as I said. This love must be in all discernment. This is the practical application to the different circumstances in life and perception between right and wrong. And this all needs for us illumination by the Holy Spirit so that we can obey God's commands. The word approve in verse 10 comes from the Greek word for assaying metals or the testing of, say, gold coins to prove their authenticity and value. And so the Philippians are and believers generally, I may say, are to test their own characters and conduct, especially in exercising love toward one another. Our love must be sincere and genuine and without offence or blameless. We must think of the effect that we may have on others and live lives of integrity that do not cause others to sin. And we need to do this continually until the day of Christ, his return. And I'd just like to uh, look at a a short passage from um, Romans again, chapter 12, verses 9 to 13, where Paul encourages the believers in their Christian life. This sort of ties in nicely, I think. Romans 12, 9 to 13, if you'd like to turn to that. How to apply our Christian lives or the things that we learn in our Christian lives. Verses 9 to 13, chapter 12 of Romans. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good, be kindly affectionate to one another, 
with brotherly love, in honour giving preference to one another, not lagging in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing steadfastly in prayer, distributing to the needs of the saints, given to hospitality. So returning again to Philippians and the last verse for today, verse 11, Paul prays that the spiritual fruit that comes from Jesus Christ will be produced in the Philippians by the Holy Spirit. And Paul is not talking here about human uprightness, but looking at transformed lives that are proof that God is working in them. Consequently, all the glory and praise belong not to believers, but to God, for he has redeemed us by the completed work of Jesus and has implanted his spirit within us to produce the fruit of righteousness. Now I'd like to conclude by summarising the challenges that we face and the lessons that we may learn as believers today from what we've looked at within the Philippian church during Paul's day. When we look at the many challenges that are offered that we've looked at today, uh, remember that we are all on a journey of sanctification and we will only be completing Jesus either when we're called home or when he returns to gather us to him. So don't be discouraged by anything that you can't do. Be encouraged that we have the Holy Spirit who will strengthen us and equip us for the service to the Lord. So challenges, no mean task. Are we willing bondservants, putting God's priorities first in our lives? How do we become imitators of Paul? Can we have the same mind as Jesus and be imitators of God? Are the virtues listed in chapter 4 verse 8 present in our lives? Can we be without offence with God's spirit producing the fruit of righteousness in our lives? Do our lives bring glory to God? Do we love each other deeply and sincerely? Do we test our character against biblical principles? Some of the lessons to be learned may we may already be practising, but there is always room for improvement. Remember, Paul prayed more and more for the Philippians, be more and more loving. We can always do just a little bit more, but remember that we live in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and we can enjoy his peace and have his strength. Do we have the joy of the Lord in our hearts? Do we regularly pray with joy and thanksgiving for our brothers and sisters in Christ? This is something that came up today. Do we share in the work of spreading the gospel? Do we show generosity to other believers and practice hospitality? Now these lists are not meant to be complete and you may have heard personally a challenge that I've not listed or a lesson to be learned. But I pray that the Holy Spirit has spoken to us today and that we may walk in his power to do his bidding. And I'd like to close with a final word from Ephesians 3.20 as a prayer for all of us. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever. Amen.